0: safe or not getting accused of stealing someone else's pay and I had one particular payday when I mentioned to the woman in a locker just along from me that I was saving to buy a car. Well next thing I knew I was in the matron's office being interviewed by a policeman. Someone had stolen her pay and because I'd said that I was saving to buy a car she put two and two together and came to the conclusion that I was that someone. <laughs> and. Um, Of course, I wasn't the thief, but me being me, I felt and acted guilty, and I didn't think that the interview went too well. I can't actually remember how long I went around worrying about it, but in the end, I just actually never did hear anything more about it. At least you don't have that kind of trouble when you get your pay directly into your bank account. But there is a payday coming for a lot of people that's going to be way more trouble than that. And we want to be able to tell them how to get out of that. Romans 6, verse 23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And it's just a fantastic thing if we can skip those those wages and get the gift instead. And, of course, the gift... You know, like any present is not something that you earn or deserve. It's totally free of charge because someone else has paid for it. And if you need to get that gift, to pick up that gift, then after, at the end of the service, there's going to be a chance for you to do that. You know, sin pays its wages in death. And that death is beyond the physical because we're eternal beings and the contents of sin's pay packet is not notes and coins it's so terrible that like i don't want to know about it it includes being cut off for god forever and that is i think unbelievably horrible because everything that's good in this life comes from god you know justice peace joy kindness goodness fresh air to breathe all the good stuff comes from god and then there's the added horror of enduring God's wrath, whatever that looks like, whatever that feels like, for all eternity. So sin's pay packet is one that we just do not want to open. And so we've got to get this issue sorted while we're in the land of the living. Now sin has always been mankind's problem, one way or another. Big time, small time, you know, from trying to get on top of life-dominating sins, addictions, things like that. To dealing with the sneaky sins like pride and self-righteousness. And they're the ones that are actually right at the top of God's hit list. And then the ongoing disciplines of standing against our selfishness, laziness, anger. And they're almost like the little foxes that get under our feet and want to send us crashing down as we go about our daily walk. Romans 3 verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, sin sounds like a dirty word. It sounds bad. If not a dirty word, it's certainly an ugly word. It's confronting in your face. Definitely not PC. And some of you will be thinking, well, is there some other way that you can put that? Yeah, there is. Like, I made a mistake. You know, I guess we've all seen um, maybe a sports star or a public figure, and they've been caught out doing something drugs, booze, fraud, immorality, something like that. And they front up on TV and they say that they're sorry. They're sorry to their family members, their wife, their partner, teammates, coach, whoever they think that they've hurt. And it can be very emotional. They cry snot for miles, it's grueling to watch, and no doubt it's very hard for them to make such a public confession. You just really hope that it does some good. Sorry for their mistake. Well, we all make mistakes. I mean, snakes, mistakes are an essential part of learning anything, part of the learning process. But if we keep on making that same mistake over and over, maybe that mistake has become a choice. But, you know, let's say I make mistakes. I have struggles. I've got baggage, hang-ups, problems. I have habits, challenges. I have opportunities for improvement. I've made some bad choices. You know, all that kind of stuff that meant that Jesus had to be tortured to death. The sinless son of God shed his blood on the cross because I have some issues? No. Jesus didn't die for my issues. He died for my sins. My sins against God. And the thing is, I don't want to know about it half the time, don't want to think about it, don't want to talk about it don't want to deal with it, sometimes because it's too hard or it's fun. But sin and all its ugliness is actually a major theme in the Bible. And of course, the scary thing is those wages. Now, I'm sure that you've heard the old saying that confession is good for the soul. And the idea of of course, is it honestly admitting our sins is therapeutic. It's going to make us feel better, and I'm all for people feeling better. It's good. Now, some people have tried to make a way for other people to get things off their chest. And, you know, one example is called a social art project. And it provides a phone number that people can ring, and they can call and talk to a stranger who listens as they anonymously confess their sins. And they call it this or they say some will find catharsis be a repentance and whatever you say or hear the truth will set you free. Well to be honest to me that's just like a jumble of words. And even the thought that confession is good for the soul is not biblical. You won't find that in the Bible. Now there is merit in confessing so that you feel better. I mean that's a good thing. But feeling better is not going to bypass the wages. So why not go the whole way and aim for confession that's beyond therapeutic? Confession of sin to God that results in confession and eternal salvation. And so we'll just keep going on until we get a bit of an idea of what that looks like. Now all through the Bible we see this confession, I have sinned. Right, Pharaoh, for example, among others, said, I have sinned. Balaam said, I have sinned. Achan said, I have sinned. Saul said, I have sinned. David said, I have sinned. Shimei said, I have sinned. Judas said, I have sinned. Now, I'm just going to run through that list of confesses again. And this time, if you haven't already, see if you can pick the odd man out. Pharaoh said, I have sinned. Balaam said I have sinned, Achan said I have sinned, Saul said I have sinned, David said I have sinned, Shimei said I have sinned, Judas said I have sinned, now did you pick up the misfit in that line of sinners line up? Sorry I can't help myself I'm a puzzler I do cryptics and things. Okay, I'm sure you got it. David is the only one of that lineup who actually repented and went on to live for God and fulfilled God's purpose. Now, sure, he had to live with some of the natural consequences of his sin, but he was forgiven and he fulfilled God's will for his life. Now, as for Pharaoh, Balaam, Achan, Saul, Shimei, and Judas. All of them at some stage made that confession, I have sinned. But as far as we know, it wasn't enough. And tragically, every one of them went on to collect that final pay packet as they checked out of this life. Now Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, confessed, I have sinned. So what was that about? Matthew 27, verse 3 to 5. Then Judas, who had betrayed him, when he saw that Jesus was condemned, repented and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to that. And he cast down the the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. Well, Judas felt very bad about betraying an innocent man, and so he confessed to the religious leaders. Now, as one commentator said, even the damned in hell will likely feel very bad about having done such terrible things, which I think is an interesting comment. Judas was not a believer. He was concerned that Jesus was innocent, He wasn't concerned about him being the son of God because he didn't believe that he was. Now, his confession to men was a bit like a very desperate version of those people who ring in anonymously to a call center or to a person that they don't know. And it was probably an attempt to ease his conscience because he was feeling so bad. He confessed to the wrong people. And boy, were they wrong I mean, they were worried about the legality of putting Judas's money into the temple treasury, but they had no such problems about the legality of condemning an innocent man to death. So what was the point of confessing to them? Judas and David were sinners. Judas was a thief, and he betrayed Jesus. David was Israel's greatest king, but he was also an adulterer, and he murdered to cover his tracks. But there's no point in trying to cover our tracks with God, because he sees everything we do anyway. So sometime after these events, God sent Nathan the prophet to confront David. Fortunately for Nathan, when he did, David said, I have sinned. And both David and Judas said, I have sinned so it's not enough to confess we have to confess to the right person so who is the right person well one person we need to confess to is our victim to put things right if we've hurt someone and ask their forgiveness and that's important and some of you who have been the victim of another person's really bad sin know that that's important and of course you have to forgive the person who sinned and some of you know that the person who's hurt you has never sought forgiveness they don't even think they've done anything wrong and that makes it so much harder to forgive and to maintain that stand of forgiveness and then there's a certain pain a sense of unfinished forgiveness, a feeling like things have never quite gone full circle that you just have to live with but the point is that when we sin against someone for their sake we need to confess to the person that we've hurt and put it right. Then if we've committed a crime, we might need to confess to the police and go through the process of justice and get that sorted out. We can confess to a third party, maybe to our friend, our hairdresser, our workmate or some nameless, faceless person at the end of a telephone line. We can tell a counsellor, And maybe learn how to tame our out of control out of proportion and inappropriate feelings of guilt and that can be a good thing but none of those people can actually grant us forgiveness and cleansing from sin and that's what we need so who have we left off this list god so we've got to take a leaf out of david's book He confessed his sin to God because all sin is ultimately against God. And God, or Jesus, is the only one who can actually forgive us and really cleanse us from sin. In Psalm 51, verse 1 to 2, and I'm also reading from the New Living Translation here, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins wash me, clean me from my guilt, purify me from my sin. Wow, so we can actually know and experience that feeling of blotting out, washing, cleansing, and total forgiveness from our sin, and just know beyond any shadow of a doubt that we're forgiven. How good is that? When we sin... Like one simple prayer of confession and true repentance can sometimes be like too easy. No, but it's not too easy because the thing is Jesus has done the hard work. That's what Andrew was talking about in communion. No sin is beyond God's forgiveness. And you might be thinking, well, what about the unforgivable sin? Well, don't worry about that because the person who has done that is not sitting in church this morning. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When David was confronted, he owned it, he confessed, he repented. And repentance is a change of mind or thinking, and there's three steps here. First of all, a deep sorrow for sin like David had after his affair with Bathsheba, the confession of sin and turning away from wrongdoing in other words making a clean break with sin because God forgives us but he wants us to go on and move move away and change in John chapter 8 verse 3 to 11 we read the story about the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And of course the scribes and the Pharisees brought her to Jesus. Now they, she was in trouble, but they were trying to get Jesus in trouble, trying to force his hand um, to say that according to the Jewish law, she was gonna be stoned to death. And then he couldn't do that because that would get him in trouble with the Romans and it was gonna be a big hoo-ha. But of course Jesus was way too smart for them. In verses 6 and 7, we see his amazing wisdom. He didn't even answer them. He acted like he didn't even hear. He just bent down and started writing stuff in the dust. Now, there are different ideas about what he wrote. Some people say it was the Ten Commandments. Some people say he wrote, where's the man? Which is a good question, but I don't think that's what it was. And partway through his writing, Jesus stood up and he said, okay, but let the one who's never sinned, Be the one to throw the first stone and then he went back to his writing in the dust and when when he did that one by one these scribes and pharisees who brought the woman and were accusing her just slunk away so what was jesus writing well i go with the idea that by a word of knowledge He was writing in the dust a list of their besetting sins, and they saw that, and it's like, oh, you know, I can't cast the first stone, and they just had to walk away. They were so convicted by their sin. And finally, Jesus was the only one left, and he said to the woman, I don't condemn you either. He forgave her, but then he said, go and sin no more. And of course. He obviously would give grace to help you with that. God forgives. He wants us to feel forgiven. He doesn't want us to go around feeling condemned, not at all. But then the word also is go and sin no more. And so on one hand, there's unlimited grace to forgive. He always gives us another chance, but there's always unlimited grace to go and sin no more. And just a couple of my favorite verses here in Timothy 2, verse 11 to 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. God's grace teaches us to say no to sin. And of course, it's a process we learn now jesus judas rather confessed i have sinned but he found no forgiveness and he hung himself and went from a wretched end to a wretched eternity jesus said it would have been better for him if he'd never been born i suspect that judas had a life dominating sin but it would seem like he didn't repent or didn't try or didn't persist somehow he didn't deal with it. Now, if we have to deal with sin, we're in good company. Even the great apostle Paul had his struggles and David, who we're looking at. In fact, if you have sin issues, in all truth, I would say welcome to the human race. But we have God on our side and like we heard from Jody last Sunday, God is our great champion, there for us. Believing in us, encouraging us, and literally putting strength into us. Now Judas was one of the twelve disciples, and obviously he was trusted from the beginning because they put him in charge of the money. But it seems like Judas had a problem with money, covetousness, greed, and stealing. But... Can you imagine struggling with a life-dominating sin and having Jesus right there with you every day? Like, wouldn't that be your dream? You know, you've got this huge, terrible problem, but there's Jesus one-on-one every day. Okay, let's get real. Many of us do struggle with life-dominating sins. And we do have Jesus with us every day, 24 seven. God is with us, but too often we just carry on and we don't seriously engage him in our battle. Sometimes simply because we feel too condemned. You know, I had this friend, Kiwi girl in the Philippines and she had a problem. I didn't think it was a really bad problem, but she did. And she used to say to me all the time, I can't keep telling God about it. He's sick of me. And I'm like, he's not. You can keep telling him. We think God gets sick of us coming back over and over with the same problem, but, but God's not like that. He's not like us. He loves persistence. He teaches that in the Bible. He loves it. He's our champion. He's there for us. He wants to be involved. So let's just try and imagine the conversation that Judas might have had if he'd asked Jesus for help. I think Jesus would say, Judas, I've known all along about that, but thank you for telling me you've taken the first big step and I forgive you for all of our money that you've stolen. Now let's make a plan. First of all, you've got these 12 guys. Now this is really important. They're your small group. Enlist their support, get them to pray, be accountable to one or two of them. Now, Matthew would be really good because he really understands about the temptation of money. Small group, really important. Secondly, I'm here for you 24-7. Talk to me anytime. And Jesus would say, I can't do it for you, but I can give you all the grace and all the strength that you need at the moment of temptation. Thirdly, if you sin, please confess to me straight away, and I will forgive you again and again. Fourthly, arm yourself with scripture. And I think Jesus would talk to Judas about the time when he spent 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, alone, and under severe attack. And he would explain how he completely blindsided Satan by quoting the word of God. And he would encourage Judas to learn scripture and use it like a sword to fight off those enemy attacks. Fifthly, walk in obedience. And for Judas, the commandments do not steal and do not covet would be particularly important. And it would be like a daily walk. He'd have to watch himself every day, just so, so important. And to be accountable, because this was his area of weakness. And finally, persist. And Jesus would have stressed this you know, this is your battle persist with it. And he'd say, God is on your case, and in his perfect time, you will strike that critical mass, and the breakthrough will come, but persist. And I think Jesus would have added, hey, Judas, I'm looking way down through time now, and they have invented a game called baseball, and the object of this game is to give preachers heaps of inspiring illustrations. A guy called Tark Barner pulled out this baseball phrase, swing again. Skip the details, Judas. It's just about trying to hit the ball. But that swing again is important because what it means is keep persisting in prayer. Persist. That's the key. Persist. And I think that Jesus would have given Judas just a look of incredible love and said, Look, sticking with this is your biggest challenge. Hold on to your faith persist in prayer, swing again and again. And what a difference it could have made if Judas would have had that conversation with Jesus and just taken those words to heart. But I suspect he was just too busy counting the money. You know, I read a really shocking story of a Christian leader. Um, It's a classic, it's a, a very old one, but a Christian leader and pastor who struggled with pornography And this was when pornography was hard to get hold of. It's so hard for men these days because it's just everywhere. But he was seriously addicted and it was taking him downhill in an alarming way. And you know, this is the trouble with porn. It's not static. It's always taking you into deeper and darker stuff. After years of despair and he was in a really bad place, he finally got free of it. And this is his testimony. He said, I cannot tell you why a prayer that has been prayed for 10 years is answered after 1,000 requests when God has not met the first 999 with silence. Well, God in his wisdom knows. Only God can answer that one. But the moral of the story is that we must persist in prayer and persist in the battle. Swing again. Keep persisting. Paul Sobritsky, a promise keeper, says we need to commit to the process of getting free, realizing the long-term consequences of continuing in sin are far worse than the short-term pain of achieving freedom. Now, a further lesson that we see from Judas is that sin is a great waster. Mark 14, verses 3 to 9. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She broke the jar and poured the perfume out on Jesus' head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste? It could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Now that perfume was worth a small fortune, 300 denarii, which was about a year's wages, maybe up to $100,000 in today's terms. Why this waste, growled those who were watching, and John singles out Judas among them. Well, of course, Judas would protest about the so-called waste of money the others were probably more genuinely thinking of how that money would help the poor but judas was probably thinking of how nicely it would line his pockets judas criticized mary for wasting money hey judas wasted his entire life in regard in regarding mary's so-called waste judas said whenever wherever the gospel is preached what she has done will also be told in memory of her anything that we pour out on jesus is never wasted why this waste of all the tens of billions of people who have ever lived judas was chosen to be one of jesus disciples what a phenomenal opportunity and so spectacularly wasted Jesus didn't deal with his sin, he didn't use his God given gifts or anything that Jesus poured into his life. Why this waste, indeed? And let's learn from this and make the most of the time, the opportunities, the resources that God has given us. You know, And then we see the situation where sin just so distorts people's perspective that they end up like Judas, and they look at the best investments in the world, giving money and tithes into God's kingdom, and they growl, why this waste? Some unbelievers look at tithing and giving, and they almost howl and protest, why this waste? But some of them pay way more to their gods, they pay into sport, entertainment, materialism, the body beautiful, addictions like gambling, shopping, drugs, pornography, and alcohol, which is my particular gripe because it ruined my life when I was a kid, but that's all right, God is good. But you know, alcohol-related harm alone in New Zealand has recently been estimated to cost $5.3 billion a year, I can't even get my head around that. You know, that's $14.5 million every day. Why this waste? And then with Judas, things go from bad to worse. He committed suicide. That is the biggest and most tragic waste of all. David also sinned, but he confessed his sin to God. He repented. And he went on with God. Yes, there was that collateral damage. But, you know, even God redeems situations like that. When God is on our case, really nothing is wasted. Romans 8 verse 28. and We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And I'm only guessing here, I'm just making this up right, but I think it's very possible that down through the centuries, untold Christians have been salvaged or warned off immorality and adultery or challenged to keep on the straight and narrow because God has spoken to them through messages about David's sin. The name of Judas Iscariot lives on too, sadly as one of the most despised men in history. He earned the title the son of perdition, which simply means the man doomed to destruction. His legacy, a graveyard, and a sorry catalogue of how not to do it. Why this waste? You know, we're all sinners, and I know that there are some who are seriously struggling. But God's word for you today is don't let it end there or here. Decide now that you're going to deal with it, that you're going to believe and exercise faith. Confess, repent, and swing again and again by the grace of God. God is your champion. You know, Jesus forgave David for adultery and murder. He forgave Peter for his denials. He forgave Paul for persecuting Christians. He will forgive us for anything. And whatever you do, don't waste the offer of God's free gift of eternal life. And Sam's going to come and talk about that in just a few seconds. Whatever's going on right now, whatever you're in the middle of right now, whatever you think you can't get out of, can't stop, can't move on from, don't get stuck there. God's your champion. He sees, he knows, he's got the plan. There's grace. Remember Paul Sabritsky's words, we need to commit to the process of getting free, realizing the long-term consequences of continuing in sin are far worse than the short-term pain of achieving freedom. Thank you.